Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Somos Moss, the official podcast of Somos Moss NM and your source for latest news and notes on New Mexico United and sometimes weekly sports discussion about the biggest stories from the world of sports. My name, of course, is Seth Bidoff. Thank you so much for joining us here on our YouTube channel. Uh, here with me live tonight, we have Jacob Terrell and Earl Nieto. And uh, guys, we're going to jump right into it. I have one burning question. Do you know how to draw? That's so weird. No joke. So I've been in a class the last two days at the library. And when we take our little breaks from the Zoom class, I walk around, right? And I stopped today and I pulled out a black and yellow book called Drawing for Dummies <laughs> and thought, I wonder if this book will actually work. Because if it if it could teach me to draw, then it literally is for anybody. Because I cannot draw whatsoever. So how'd it go? I don't know. I didn't get it. <laughs> I had to go back to class, and then I forgot about it. Oh, Wait, okay. Now that you're reminding me, I might have to go to the library tomorrow and, and check out a book called Drawing for Dummies. Drawing for Dummies. All right. Yeah, I, I have no artistic ability whatsoever. I mean, I can, I can use Audacity to edit some stuff. Um, but the, la the last time that I drew anything was like back in middle school. So 25 years ago, basically. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm old, dude. I'm, I, I, there's something that happened today. I'm like, oh man, I'm old. It really made me realize just, you know, the fact that I will be 37 this year. So man, getting up there, getting up there. No, you know, I, I obviously, you know, in school, they, we were made to take art classes. And so, I learned how to do a little bit of drawing, but I can't. I couldn't do anything now. I mean, it, it's something I've been interested in, and, I, and it's probably a skill that I, I need to pick up. You know, uh, so maybe we can, you know, one of us can design ourselves a new logo, and not have to pay somebody else to do it. But uh, yeah, no, it's something that, uh, that I should probably learn how to do. And Earl, I know you shook your head earlier, but are you just like? completely devoid of artistic skill or do you just choose not to draw? He's completely devoid of skill. Very much. <laughs> you see, it's an artistic ability if I can spell my name. Yeah, there you go. So if, no, if no, a far side taught us anything, it's, you know, school for the gifted isn't for everybody. <laughs> it's been a weird 15 minutes already. <laughs> it has, you know, and, and it's been a weird week. It's been, it's been an interesting week, you know, for, for us as United fans and us as, as local media, you know, a lot of stuff going on. Uh, obviously Monday night, the Albuquerque city council voted to put the stadium bond on the November ballot uh, on the bond election by a vote of seven to two. And so the, the residents of Albuquerque, Albuquerque will get a chance to vote on the future of basically United, future of the stadium, and, and uh, vote whether or not to approve a $50 million bond uh, for stadium, uh, you know, the, the design, the construction, and uh, potentially also going towards the land rights. Now, the city, uh, the the state legislature last year already approved uh, up upwards of $7 million. I think it's somewhere between seven to $9 million for the club to, or for the city to make the land purchase, um, wherever they go. So, uh, things are, things are moving along. Um, there was a community meeting tonight 
held by United. I know I, I was in attendance. I know you guys um, didn't attend. Uh, there was one other local media personality on there. And I have to say, you know, I mentioned it in our group text earlier. Everyone that spoke tonight was pro stadium. Uh, they did get some clarification on some questions they had. And, you know, even going into that, I knew a lot of the information. But one of the big takeaways that I took out of that was that the club is really going to focus on their messaging for, for the next two months, making sure that the right information is out and that there are ways to disseminate that, whether it's through flyers, mailers, you know, whatever, social media campaigns. Uh, the, the club is absolutely dedicated to get their messaging right on this over the next couple months. Well, that's good because, I mean, as you mentioned, you said in the meeting nobody there was, was anti-stadium. So that's because the people that are anti-stadium aren't going to seek out answers. They're going to have to be spoon-fed answers. And so whether that's seeing it on social media, seeing it on the news – uh, getting it in their mail, whatever the case may be, it's it's going to be have to be force fed to them instead of them going out and finding a bowl of fruit like Earl has found tonight. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's something that's really been bothering us, and we've talked about it a little bit. The local news media, the, the major outlets, I should say. KOAT, KOB, the Albuquerque Journal, KRQE, a lot of what they've put out has been coverage of the negative response to the stadium. Negativity gets clicks. Yeah, it it does. It absolutely does. And and you're right. I saw some some outlet today that I'd never even heard of before that put um, like two pro responses and three anti-pro responses on it to a, a polling question they put out i'm like how is that even indicative it's not even reporting like you're just copy pasting what someone said like you're not investigating anything but sitting on that meeting with with the with the club tonight it was uh david carl and peter trevisani that were on it from the club and you know peter went and gave a lot of background and i know there's some folks that that may still not be familiar with it but you know, the USL does require that by the end of year three, there's at least a plan for a stadium in place. And Peter, uh, he addressed, you know, the the suggestions about other locations. Places like the lab and UNM, there's not even, there's not enough room for the programming that they want to do. If you look at the, and the biggest example that he gave was the scheduling. You know, he said it's extremely hard for United to even get their, 16 home matches every year scheduled at the lab, you know, scheduled around the isotopes and when they play and things like that. And so the same thing goes over at UNM as another big reason why you can't do stuff there because, you know, they have football, they have soccer, they have graduation, they have all sorts of other events going on that finding room in there. And that's something we hadn't discussed before. And honestly, I hadn't even thought of it that way. But it's absolutely a consideration that has to be taken into account. Well, and not only that, but you know, even it, even us playing at Isotopes Park, we have to schedule around not only the Isotopes, but we have to schedule around UNMs too because of parking. Yes, exactly. Because you can't. I mean, even if we were playing at UNM, we still couldn't play during an Isotopes game on the weekend because it's all the same parking all through there. So um, we just need to get out of that area completely 
and and have our own parking and our own stadium and to where you can we can schedule whatever we want and that that's why like the people that are out there saying that oh we need a we can't even get a women's team why do we need a stadium we need a stadium before we can get a women's team because we can barely schedule our home matches right now yeah let alone if we were trying to fit uh nwsl schedule in there at home it it, it wouldn't work so you would need i mean even a even one stadium hosting the men's club and a women's club would be difficult in a little bit anyways to get everything scheduled around each other let alone if you're trying to do it around baseball and football and women's college soccer and women's or and college tennis because the tennis courts are over there and track and field and everything else that goes on over there at UNM. Yeah, and you actually brought up something I was going to mention the the women's the women's club. There's been a lot of talk about a women's club and the USLW and and uh, you know that's something that Peter brought up you know just completely you know on his own. He said that you know we want a women's club, but we need a stadium in order to do that. We need a place for them to play. And again, he went back to the scheduling issues and you couldn't have UNM and us play on the same day. You know, you, it just, it wouldn't work from, from a lot of different perspectives. And he didn't even go into the infrastructure. Uh, he did talk about stadium size and, you know, how, how small some of these other facilities are. They only hold, you know, four or 5,000 seats, things like that. And so there was just a lot going into it. Now, I know that the three of us are all pro stadium. We all want the stadium. Earl, if you did have a concern about the stadium, what would it be? Traffic. Okay. Yeah, that's a, that's a fair point. Obviously, just with right now in the lab. Traffic. I'm glad we stayed late for press conferences because I remember year one. That shit sucked. You're parked for at least... 20 minutes just trying to get out of the stupid parking lot. So, yeah, so that's my biggest concern is traffic. The the thing about that is that no matter where you put it, no matter what mass gathering you have in the United States, traffic sucks leaving, period. No matter where you are, no matter what it is, no matter what city you're in, state you're in, if you get 10,000 people together in one spot, getting out of there is going to suck. The only thing that can help it is public transportation. And I don't think enough people would take public transportation for it to really help. But man, I, if they could put it next to the rail runner and have a rail runner stop, um, I, I think that's that would help at least a little bit. But I don't know if you're going to ask the same question to me, Seth, but I have a slightly different answer. And um, with with the places that they're talking about putting it, there's not land readily available there. And so that does mean houses and businesses would have to be relocated. And, um, and I don't really like that, especially when we're in a state and... I mean, Albuquerque doesn't have a whole lot of wide open spaces, but there's at least a few to take advantage of. Um, but like y'all live, I live in the middle of nowhere. There's plenty of open space out here. And I know there's open space nearer to Albuquerque that could do it. It, But it's a fine line between putting it somewhere where there's enough room for it without 
tearing anything down or moving anybody. But also keeping it close enough that people will want to go and that, you know, Peter's talked about revamping areas of the city. And um, and so it, it's a fine line. But at, at the end of the day, the two places that they mentioned as their top places, um, I'm okay with both of them, even if it is uh, a little bit inconvenient having to, to move some stuff around. And, and I know that's easy for me to say. I live two and a half hours outside of Albuquerque. So it's easy for me to look at it and go, yeah, move from a house that you might have lived in for 30 years so that we can build the stadium. But uh, I, I don't I don't really care for how that is going to go down if they choose one of the two places they've highlighted the most. Yeah, and that's something that that Peter touched on, uh, you know, talking to business owners, homeowners in the areas where that are listed as preferred sites. And and the feeling that the club has gotten from those conversations has been generally positive, you know, that they're supportive of the club. And, you know, one of the things that Peter mentioned tonight is that some of those businesses that are down there, you know, if you go back and look at where some of the riots and things were, you know, during the Black Lives matter movement while that while all that was going on all those protests were going on you know the damage that happened down there some of those businesses haven't even reopened yet and so you know that's a consideration that they're that they're looking at you know maybe some of those stores could be could become like a a local vendor outside the stadium you know things like that and you know they, they've talked to homeowners you know and you know some of those folks you know he said that what they've had again generally positive you know and they're trying to do what they can for as many people as they can. You know, some of the things that they've gotten back from, from that in terms of positives is that some of the, some of the older folks who live in that area who may be retired could potentially, you know, are excited about the possibility of working at the stadium. You know, uh, I mean, we, we talked to some of the, the ticket takers and employees out of the ice, out of ice, out of ice park from time to time. And there's no reason that folks on that side of town couldn't do the same thing. And, you know, but, one of the big important pieces of this is that the club and the city are go, are working together on a or, or or are going to work together on a community benefits agreement. So it's not like the club is just coming in and pushing people out. You know, they're they're not trying to displace people just for the sake of you know oh we got to have a stadium. You know they want to build that community and make sure that they're doing what they can for the people that live in those areas. So that they're not, they're not they're not getting priced out of their homes. They're not getting you know. Uh, forced out that we have you know adequate security and lighting and transportation. You mentioned the rail runner. That was something that came up tonight too. You know, put the stadium in an area right by the rail runner. You know, you, that could alleviate some of the traffic issues coming in and out of town. And Peter even mentioned, you know, maybe it would allow for the opportunity to, you know, have more like afternoon matches, like a four o'clock in the afternoon kickoff. And then you could have the rail runner running, you know, north and south, you know, folks from Los Lunas and said, you know, you could park in Los Lunas and take the rail runner into town for a match. Same thing for Santa Fe, you know, park your car up there and take the rail runner in. And so there's a whole, whole lot of things that are going into this. There's a whole lot of things that are trying to take into consideration. And one of the biggest concerns that I've seen across social media is, is the funding. And, uh, while there are no like definite numbers yet, Peter did say they're hoping to ha- potentially have some solid numbers in about 30 days or so um, in terms of, you know, cost and things like that. And then, um, 
also in terms of what United's contribution is going to be towards the stadium. And he said the club is already looking at a multi-million dollar contribution. So it's not like this. It's not like the club is coming in and picking the city's pocket. Like, and, and something that people, again, that people need to understand, this is a city owned property that would generate revenue for the city. Yes, there is the bond. That is a loan that will be paid back with interest. And once that bond is paid back, everything is going to go as revenue for the city. You know, the United as the as the main tenant, they're going to pay rent. The city's likely going to get revenue off of sales generated within the stadium. And so while the property itself won't generate real estate tax because it is, again, city-owned, this is not a privately owned stadium. The city will be generating revenue off of this for years to come. Yeah, I think that um, I, I I think that slowly over the next few months that will be realized by a lot of people. And I'm I'm actually in the last when was the last time we podcast two weeks ago, a little over two weeks ago. I think in the last two weeks I've I've gotten way more optimistic of its chances. Um, obviously, like I said, I can't I don't live there, so I can't vote on it. In fact, out of the three of us, only one of us can actually vote on it. You guys but, can um, move in with me before you vote. Yeah, fair, fair. <laughs> um, As you use your address. Yeah, there you go. And name and likeness. Yeah. Um, so I, I've I've come around to be more positive on it and thinking it's it's for sure going to pass. Uh, and and because of that, I'm I'm a lot less stressed about the off the field stuff. Uh, while my stress level about the on the fit stuff maybe has gone up in the last few days. Yeah, we'll we'll get to that uh, here in just a second. Um, but yeah, damn so, it, Seth, I set it up perfectly. You did, you and did. you just freaking threw it out the window and said, "No, I'm going to go back <laughs> and ruin your perfect segue." No, that was a fantastic segue, and I love that. And we're gonna, you know, I want to get to bees first before we get to the to the on the field stuff. But I just wasn't, you know, over the next two months, you know, we're gonna talk, be talking about the stadium. We're gonna be fighting, figuring out ways. We're gonna be, we're probably gonna be putting out social media stuff. You know, uh, the club's gonna be putting out uh, putting out stuff, talking points, things like that. So, if you're someone, if you're listening to this, and you're someone who's not necessarily for the stadium, if you're anti-stadium, if you're undecided get involved look for the for the club's uh community meetings get involved ask questions of the club uh you know find out what's going on you know we'll be happy to talk to anybody about it you know come pop in the chat talk with us we will help clear up any misconceptions that you might have uh you can email david at the club david at new mexico uh, Email David, email Peter. You know, they gave people that option tonight. Email those guys, get involved, figure out, you know, find out what's going on with it. Don't just blindly accept what people are stating across social media uh, or even in person. So, um, as in that, you know, you know, you guys, you know, there's been some issues, there's been some concerns about the on the field display that we've got that we've been seeing. But on Tuesday morning, New Mexico United did announce the transfer of former New Mexico United player Chris Weehan back from Orange County for a supposed record intra-league 
transfer fee from Orange County Soccer Club, who incidentally fired their coach today. Uh, so Bees came back, made his 2021 debut for the club on t- on Wednesday night. Um, before we get into the actual uh, Chris Weehan, what were your guys' reactions to the announcement of Bees coming back to the club? I was excited about it since Jacob started shooting his wife. Um, I was really excited about it. Uh, I kind of put two and two together about the night before going into the morning, um, especially after you guys said it could be bees, whatever. He was pissed off at his coach or some whatever the hell it was. Um, then I started thinking 14 backwards is 41. So, yeah, it would be it. I couldn't think of anyone else that it could be. Um, I'm hoping he's the answer or at least a start to the answer because God, we look pretty terrible without him. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it was probably the second easiest thing to figure out after Najem. Najem was pretty, pretty much a guarantee that it was Najem coming back uh, when they announced his, um, and Weehan was kind of an obvious answer, uh, I felt, anyways, uh, especially after the 41 and, and everything that we already t- that that are already talked about. And um, you know, I'm I'm super excited about it. I, I you know we were at the press conference last night, and um, we mentioned the you know the it was uh, in fact it was Najem and and Dev were there, and they talked about you know what a great uh, great person he is, just period, just as a human being, and how that helps them. And then, and then not only that, but on the pitch, just what he's able to create. Don't you freaking dare, Earl! I saw you grab it, put it back, put it back right now. <laughs> Anyways, um, and and even Najim kind of admitted that you know that that maybe what we're lacking is some some creativity and some imagination and, and touch in the final third. So um, I still have a slight um, concern that that's not going to fix it, fix the offense. Uh, it will help it for sure. I don't, I don't think you can, especially not to jump ahead, but watching last night's match when he came on, um, <clears throat> I don't think you can look at, how we looked after he came on and say, oh, that wasn't a giant improvement from from the rest of the second half, at least. Um, so he's going to help. Is he going to be exactly what we need to get that offense over the hump? I don't know. We'll, time will tell on that one. I'm hoping what – I'm, what I'm really hoping for is to have Kalen and Brown and him and Weehan all in the starting lineup coming up against Austin because I think that's – going to be our best bet and look Devin scored he did he's our I think he's got three goals on the season and is is tied for the lead in goals for us uh Weehan comes in with four but of course those were all with Orange County um and yeah he scored uh it was first of all a beautiful freaking cross uh by Najem that I mean, he just placed it on top of Devin's head, um, and like I'm not, I'm not going to say that finishing that is easy because it's not. 
But at the same time, yeah, he scored three goals uh, in 18 matches now. That's that's not good enough. Like he's he's not he's not the goal scorer that we need. So um, for all of the people saying, "Oh, where the hate is at now?" after he scored, I'm still right here. <laughs> I, I haven't changed my tune. Uh, one goal does not uh, change my opinion. Um, uh, and and this is all on Devin as a finisher, and all the the whole team as a finishing. Uh, just getting those final couple touches. Um, I love Devin as a person. He's a, he's a great human being. I had the chance to sit down with him one-on-one uh, during season one and interview him. And, um, and he is the face of the franchise. And because he's the face of the franchise, I don't necessarily have a problem with him starting more often than not. But the team as a whole, including him, are not scoring goals. And that is the major problem. So uh, a healthy Brian Brown mixed with Chris Weehan, um and then having Kaden on set pieces again, I think is a huge deal for our for our offense. And I hope we get to see what some kind of full and healthy lineup with Weehan in it looks like in the next couple of weeks because we're going on the road for two matches here. And uh I don't know if y'all know this, but our road record this year has been atrocious. So we need we need something to get us through this these two two road matches and I mean, we're sitting sixth, guys. I mean it's it's not okay. And so I, I think Weehan will help. I hope he helps enough, but we'll we'll see what he does the next two matches and, and go from there. Yeah, speaking of last night, New Mexico United did of course uh, end up in a 1-1 draw with bottom dwellers Oakland Roots and the, and the first ever meeting between the two clubs. Uh, I know we had hoped that Salih would be there last night. He did, in fact, travel with the club. They traveled uh, with 20, according to their uh, staff member that was in the press box last night. But Salih was taken... Apparently, Salih found out about 5 o'clock yesterday afternoon that he was not going to be in the 18th. And you know, I know we had all, he was there in the stadium. Uh, he was, you know, he was talking with folks, hanging out. I, I did not tell you this last night, but I did actually see him and talk to him for a brief second. Um, he, he, I didn't mention why he wasn't. I didn't ask why he wasn't playing anything. I just said it was good to see him, and and uh, we missed him. And and he was actually talking to some of Sandoval's family. Um, so it wasn't a huge long conversation, but he was in good spirits. He was happy. Um, I don't know if that was just because he was talking to to a family. Uh, obviously not his family, but family nonetheless in the eyes of United. So um, so that was nice. I was glad I got to see him. I, I, was, I was bummed that he wasn't in the 18 and didn't get actually to play on the pitch. Yeah, the, the guy from Oakland up in the box, he seemed absolutely surprised that he wasn't even in the 18 and that he didn't really understand the the coaching decision that were being made around Salih and that for the most part, Salih had been used as like a fourth center back, which is not Salih's natural position. And so he just, he was, he was super bummed for him. You know, he was, and obviously Salih was, bummed. I know fan, he said, you know, the guy, the Oakland guy was like, you know, I'm sure you guys would be okay if it ended up three, one with, you know, Salih getting the goal. Like, yeah. All of us at the boss were like, yeah, absolutely. We would love to see Sully get a goal, you know, if we get the win. But 
you know, disappointing to say the least. Uh, didn't get to see him. Didn't get a you know, uh, give him, basically give him a, a welcome back on the pitch because uh, I know the fans would have welcomed him back uh, with a, with a huge cheer. Uh, I so I didn't hear their conversation like whatsoever, but um, just the way he was acting with the fans because he was he was down there. Uh, we sat. I sat with a friend of mine in one fifteen. Um, which is right there in the center of the pitch. And Severio was right there at the top of it when I saw him after the match, talking to several people and everything. And and um, I just body language and, and me reading into things could be completely wrong. But um, I wouldn't be surprised if he comes back uh, next year. If I mean, Oakland went out and they didn't sign him. He was a transfer. If you looked at it, he was a transfer from United to Oakland, um, which means they paid money to get him other than what they pay him, uh, which is, I mean, fairly rare in USL terms, and uh, have not played him hardly at all. I think he only has like 200 some minutes on the year. I was looking at it last night. Um, And so I can't imagine he's thrilled with that. I know he's from there, uh, much like Weehan in Orange County. But uh, I, I think I think these guys are kind of realizing that home is, uh, isn't necessarily where you grew up. It's where you feel the most comfortable. And I, I think they may they may want to come back over here and, and have uh, have their, fa- their black and yellow family back. Yeah, it was it was funny being up in the box. You know, uh, David Carl, David Carl offered uh, to let them have a sixth sub if they would just throw him in the eighteen and you know use that sub only for Salih. <laughs> uh, there was also a suggestion that we sign Salih for the night just to uh, or loan him just for the night, get him on the pitch. So you know, there there was some interesting ideas being floated around about how to how to get him out there so that the so that United supporters could. Could, uh, could send him off, basically welcome him back, and you know, whatever you want to call it. And, but uh, I mean, the night wasn't all about Salih. You know, obviously we welcomed the Oakland Roots in, and match started off pretty well. Oh, you mentioned the early header from Dev, great uh, delivery from Naj on that uh, after, after that corner, and you know things seemed to be going pretty well. And you know Troy talked about it in the, in the post match. You know, from minutes ten to ten to thirty, basically United was pressing. You know, I was looking for that second goal and, and Dev, you know, Dev mentioned, you know, they were trying and he had some opportunities he couldn't finish. And, you know, something that we didn't really get to talk to them about in the, in the presser was the, the fouls that we were giving up. And you saw it after, right around the half hour mark, just after it, we started getting some fouls in some bad spots. Uh, we've talked about Andrew Tanari and his tenacity on the pitch, his bulldog mentality and, and unfortunately, you know, he gave away a foul around 25, 30 yards out, basically straight ahead. And, and Walsall put a wall fall, sorry, not Walsall, wall fall, put a fantastic <laughs> strike, um, put a fantastic strike on the ball, uh, went off the bottom of the crossbar and into the net uh, to level that out. And, you know, it, and unfortunately, no one was able to score from that point on. But, Earl, watching that first half, what were, what were some of your biggest takeaways? Do you feel like we should have had that second goal early on? Uh, do you feel like we squandered our chances? So I don't think we squandered it. Um, we definitely didn't capitalize on it. Uh, there was – because I obviously watched from home, so I had the chance to rewind it and go back and watch it again. 
more one time. Um, so it's not that we squandered it. We definitely did not take advantage of what we had. Uh, there was a couple times where Sergio just rocketed it to God knows where. Um, Dev obviously got the first header, which was nice. I was excited for that part. But then he just could not put one again. I mean, he had chances, and it was either he kicked it too low um, or he just didn't take it. There was one time where Amando kind of like granny kicked it to, I guess, just get rid of the ball. Um, if he, I think if he would have put his heart and actual um, focus onto it, we would have been up to um, and then second half, there was the one time where Cello had a clear line. One, it was him and the goalie looking eye to eye, and he passed it out and didn't take it. Yeah, there were definitely some questionable decisions that were made, and we'll, we'll get to a few of them later on uh what Earl, what was your take on the press from oakland i was actually impressed with the press um especially with them coming from sea level um i don't know if we if united just laid off or if they were taken off guard by them but oakland definitely brought the press and they definitely ran with it for a good 40 45 minutes um, from about halfway through the first half to about halfway through the second half, almost to the end of it. But they were they were definitely not wanting us to debt for sure. It was not the 10-point Oakland Roots that I've seen play. It was definitely a team that looked like they were tired of losing. Yeah, the press that they used was a- – it's kind of a variation of what we do. We really haven't seen too much of this year from, from United, but with Oakland, what they did, and at times you could see them pressing as basically up into our six yard area. And they were definitely trying to prevent us from playing out of the back, which is what we want to do. We want to build, build the play from the back. And I think we handled it fairly well in terms of not making mistakes, especially through the first half. And we were able to distribute the ball around and, and get the ball forward. So I think that that did make a difference. But at the same time that they were doing that, and you saw it more so in the second half, their defensive line really didn't even get up to to the midfield line. You know, they kind of stayed back about you know five ten yards back from the midfield line in, for much of the match, and that gave them the ability to drop back a lot faster and organize their defense a little bit better and kind of stopped us from doing what we wanted to do in the final third. Um, Jacob, looking at the second half, you know, obviously things started out kind of slow once again, uh, both sides, both sides, you know, really kind of feeling each other out. And then, and bees came on in the 60th minute and seemed to basically jumpstart the club a bit. Even with him coming on, we saw some things, we saw some decisions being made where it looked like we might have had some chances going on on goal. We saw one in particular where Amando was was going in uh, on a run. Bees had possession, and you see 
Moreno calling for the ball. You could see him wanting it, and Bees just, I don't know if Bees just didn't have his head up. I think he might have been looking the other way, didn't get there. Similar play later on. Bees makes run to the box, calling for it, and the ball doesn't, they don't get the ball over to him. Do you think we weren't, at times, we were playing without our heads up and not really looking for the that final pass, and instead just trying to look for a pass to move the ball back, back around or reset it? Well, there's that's a it's a loaded, loaded lead in right there. But um, uh, I will address the one play that you talked about. Um, I know that it looks like Bees had a line. I know the exact play you're talking about, and I was right behind Bees from where my seats were, and with the way he was set up, like his body angle, the way his feet were, like he didn't have a chance. Like the ball wasn't sitting there perfectly for him to take a shot to get it to Moreno and it would have taken some creativity and, and uh, just a, just perfect, perfect touch to get it to him. So that one, I don't, I don't look at that and go, Oh my gosh, what's going on. Um, there was some way after we had came in where it was, you know, just, they just, they, you saw what we can bring and the way he can change this dynamic or change the dynamic of this offense, but they just weren't quite on the same page after a day, maybe two of training together. Um, and I know that they had last year, but you know that's a whole off season, and then half of the season this year that that they haven't been together. So things changed just a little bit, and they just. Oh, we we talked about how the ball just kind of kept getting stuck under Weehan's feet uh, when he would get a pass. Um, he just it wasn't hitting him perfectly in stride, and and I think we see we see that timing and those touches and stuff kind of come around the more the more these guys up front get to play with each other. But um, when you mention uh, your head playing with your head down, uh, I think Amondo was guilty of that a lot last night. Um, I think, I think what Amondo does, and I, I could be way off, and I'd love to ask him this. Uh, he's just never in the press conference. Um, I, I think he he puts a lot on himself, and he says, "Oh, I have to do this. I have to be the one to dribble through six defenders and score uh, because the team really needs a, a goal right now." And um, instead of making with playing with his head up and making a, a, a drop-off pass here or or seeing a cutter uh, in front of him there. You know, he he just looks down at the ball and tries to dribble through six guys and, and get a shot off. And, and honestly, he, he did that a few times last night. Uh, we saw him, uh, the, the play that Earl was referencing, I mean, he just didn't connect with the shot. Uh, and had he, had he connected with a shot and not hit it right at the keeper, you know, we are up two nothing at that point, and and it's a completely different ball game. Um, Devin mentioned last night a, a saying that he hates, but is very true, and that's goals change games. Um, and and if you if you're able to step on the throw after that first goal and get a second one, maybe even a third one, then Oakland doesn't. It doesn't matter if Wallfall um, scores that free kick or not, or if Tenari gives up that foul or anything like that, because we have a cushion and. And chances are, if, if we can jump on them 2 3 nil in the first 20 minutes, uh, their heads are going to be down. They're not going to be thrilled. They're going to be even more tired. They're going to be more pressing. Um, 
and leave themselves vulnerable to to attacks because they're pushing up so high and and that changes everything. So uh, I I do think that Moreno. I, I think this Weehan acquisition, while not only benefiting us just because of what Weehan can do, I think it'll take some of the weight off of Amondo and Brown and Dev and and realize, hey, we've got this, I mean, world-class player um, back on the team to help us in this attack so we don't feel like we have to do everything when we touch the ball. So um, I'm very, very happy that that he's back, and I, I, I'm very pleased with what we saw last night. Um, I mean, when you compare that to Saturday's match against El Paso, um, that 30 minutes that Weehan was in uh, is the best that we've looked offensively in a while, even if it was just slightly off. So, um, you know, Earl, Earl mentioned if we drew, that we'd have to take a look at the panic button, and, you know, I've, I've been – somehow the most optimistic person on this podcast is the one that has been talking about the panic button the most, uh, this whole season. Um, and, and the only reason why I'm not hovering over it right now is because we did change a lot of things. Um, and, and it, it, it did show that the club realizes something was off and needed to do something. Um, and there was a player available of Weehan's caliber uh, for whatever reason in Orange County. I don't know what the hell went on over there. Um, I, I know that he he thanked the players and the coaches. Um, I, I think the front office was more of the issue over there. And um, to that, I mean, I, I say thank you for giving us a player of Weehan's capable or Weehan's capabilities. But um, also, you're welcome because we did give you the largest USL transfer free, whatever the hell that means. Me and Clint, I, I ran into Clint Gray and we were like, yeah, that, that could mean anything. Uh, that could be, you could tell me it was 20,000. You could tell me it was 2 million. I don't know. <laughs> like, Rumor is it was, uh, the transfer fee was somewhere in the neighborhood of $80,000. Uh, it was, that was actually reported by a, by a reporter out of LA, but apparently that was also disputed by Beast's wife. Uh, apparently the, she made a, a comment that the, the, the details of the contract were confidential, but that he was incorrect and he needed to double check his sources. And see, I, it's, it's the one thing that drives me nuts about this damn league is that all that stuff is behind, behind a wall and, and you just can't find it. And I, I get it to an extent, like, but I, I'm a, a public official or public, I don't know what it's called, but, you know, my wages are printed in the paper every time I get a raise. Um, so you can pick up a Tobacco County newspaper and see what I make, or you can just go to the city hall and say, hey, I need to fill out a paper asking for a request on, on what these people make, and it's right there. Um, and then if you look at literally any other sport and any other, like, major league in America, it's all transparent. So why, why can't this, I, I don't know. It's, it's very frustrating. Yeah. I was talking to Dylan from the orange and black soccer cast over the weekend about it. Uh, he was one of the first folks to to mention on social media that it was potentially bees and he got, you know, gave me a little bit of insight and, and uh, in our conversation, we both agreed that, 
this league is in desperate need of transparency, especially when it comes to player contracts and things like that. And uh, I know that he's been, Dylan has talked a, a bit about um, injury uh, transparency as well, which would, which would be nice to have. Um, but I, I think it's a little bit off of where we want to, where we want to be. But uh, you talked about, you mentioned, you know, us being not quite there, you know, bees, you know, only training for basically a day, day and you know, maybe two days with the club. Earl, there was a general feeling from a couple folks in the press box last night that in the second half, we tried to get a little too cute with the ball, trying to, you know, flick the ball up and over and, you know, doing some little, uh, doing some little funny looking things with it. Uh, what did you think about some of the passes that were being made and how we were attempting to get the ball into the box? So I don't know if you can read my mind or not, but that's exactly what I was going to bring up was the fact that we get too fucking cute with any kind of fucking play we try to do. Whether it's Alex Tambakis trying to clear a fucking kick or Sergio Rivas trying to drive the ball up the, up the pitch, there's always... Oh, yeah, by the way, kids, if you're listening to this... There's, you might have, there's the illicit tag. There's <laughs> what I've been waiting for all night. And this I'm is just sit back now and watch the show. This is just, this is just the start. Because there's more. Because I decided last night to stick my nose in the fucking Reddit streams. Oh, God. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. So, Was yes. that you commenting, Earl? So, yes, I do like my couch. And I do prefer a fucking sofa. And <laughs> I do also prefer Coke over fucking Dr. Pepper. And also, All right, I, know, I know exactly who you are. Right time, now. Thank you. Spring crime guy, and I don't even know how that name came up. I don't know how my my Reddit tag is whatever the fuck it is, but whatever it is. Anyways, back to the question: Do I think they get too cute? Yes. Do I think it's fucking frustrating when Alex Tambakis can't catch a fucking free kick, but he has to try to let it roll off his fucking hand, hopefully to flick it up at the right fucking possible time? Wait, 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 no. Pause. Pause right now. No, no, no. If you're no, talking no, about the goal, no. you need to shut your mouth. <laughs> because that was a no, beautiful no, goal. No. And there's no way he's stopping that. It is a beautiful goal. It is. I'm not taking anything away from the fucking goal. What I am taking away is the fact that that was a stoppable goal had Alex wasn't. not try to stop the ball like this and instead close his hand and maybe go no, with two. He, oh, my God. Maybe. Oh, my God. Maybe. I, I'm, no, anyway, I'm not doing this. Moving on. This. Carrying on. Do I think it's frustrating when we have my favorite fucking person, Mr. JPG, not able to complete a forward fucking pass without turning it over? Yes. Do I think it's frustrating that all he can fucking do is pass it backwards? Of course. Do I question Troy on why he starts him every fucking week? Yes. Is that the only thing that one of the only things that Troy does wrong? More than likely. Because if you look at fucking Reddit, everything Troy does is wrong. He could start fucking Lionel Messi with fucking Ronaldo, and he's still wrong for it. So you on Reddit that decide to be fucking idiots, you're exactly that. You're a fucking idiot. Do I wish that the team would just play fucking ball and just dribble the ball like an average person and not some kind of fucking hero? Yes, I do wish that. 
I do wish Sergio would just pass the ball instead of trying to dance around and two-step with fucking Yuma. Fucking pass the ball. More than likely there's someone open to fucking kick and score. My retin's done. All right. Um, yeah, so that explains a lot. Um, and sorry, and, kids, and, for and, cutting so much. <laughs> and, and to your point, talking about the about social media, uh, the 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 username Spring Crime has has for quite a while been very uh, against Troy. And so, I mean, that's nothing new. I got aggravated. Honestly, I got aggravated with him a couple of weeks ago. Um, talking about you know hashtag Troy. I'm like, all right, it just I can't do it. I can't deal with that. You know, like. It's okay to be critical of your club, but there are some there are things that are going on that you cannot hold Troy accountable for. Like if we're not finishing our opportunities, you can't hold Troy accountable for that. That's on the players. There's no amount of coaching that can make the, the ball go into the net. And that's there, exactly what I last night. So I made the comment where you Suggs can teach he- them to shoot the ball. Jacob, I see your face. You can teach them to shoot the ball towards the net, but you can't actually physically make the ball go in the net. No, but you so can. I, you can. So you I can put the them. Last night. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. So, go ahead. So I, I made the comment last night that I fucking hate you so fucking much. <laughs> see, this is why they get you that pink fucking flag. This is why. Um. So there was a point last night on the Reddit stream where. I commented, is that Troy's fault too? And it was where Suggsy, instead of passing it, passing the ball back into the pitch, let it dribble out. But So when I asked, is that Troy's fault too? Because everything he does and all his coaching sucks, supposedly, if you ask fucking crime time, spring time, or spring cleaning time, whatever the fuck you want to call his name. Um... Regardless of what his fucking name is, I asked, is that hit? Is that Troy's fault too? Nothing. But yet, the next comment was hashtag Troy out. And I made the next comment of it's bullshit that he keeps doing it because Troy's not going anywhere this year. Can I say that, that all of you are wrong and right? Like, there's... there's it, it is coaching that puts the players in better position to finish. It is there are things that he can do and try to implement that will not put the ball in the back of the net, but maybe raise our chances of putting the ball in the back of the net. Maybe he can tell Moreno not to dribble with his fucking head down. Maybe if he sees that happening too much, he can pull Moreno aside and say, hey, Pick your fucking head up, or I'm gonna pull your ass. Something along those lines. Like there, there, there are things that he does. Leaving Juan Pablo Guzman in when he's having a shit game. Now that wasn't necessarily the case last night. I'm not gonna bag on Juan Pablo's Pablo last night. Um, leaving Devin in on Saturday uh, when and taking Moreno out when that probably wasn't the smart move. Um, th- there are things that Coach does that I completely and utterly disagree with. That does not mean I want him fired. But he... And and maybe it's just you guys going 
seemingly going to the other end of the extreme because these guys are on the extreme. But he has to be held accountable for some things. And no, he absolutely should be. And and not only that, but last night especially, what what my turn to rant just a little bit. What pissed me off last night was how in the hell is an Oakland Roots team that pressed for more of the match than we did fresher halfway through the second half than we are. I don't care about matches played. I understand that they have played several less matches than us. The fact of the matter is they played this weekend, we played this weekend, and then they traveled to over a mile high and still looked like the team that wanted it more. And that is coaching. That is a... I love Troy. I love what he preaches about family and being this tight-knit group, and you can see it in a lot of ways. The problem with having that tight-knit group is if one of them hangs their head, it seems like they all hang their head. And in the second half, it seemed like they hung their head until Weehan came on. And then they were like, oh, hey, yeah, we can do this. And I don't understand that mentality. And it's that is more on Troy than it is on the players to me. So, yes, he should not be fired. The hashtag Troy out movement is bullshit. But at the same time, I feel like you guys tend to go way over here and paint him with this rainbow of a brush saying it's all shitting rainbow sherbet out of your ass and sprinkles. And it's not, it's it, there are mistakes. And I candidly, I know that we have talked about mistakes that we feel Troy has made. So, so I know that you guys are agreeing with me. I just feel like once we get on the podcast, um, you guys tend to go way to the positive side when it comes to Troy and less on the critical side just because of how much criticism is out there on social media. I mean, I, I, to an extent, I think that's fair, but at the same time, like I have, you know, you can't blame Troy for shit passes against El Paso a few weeks ago. No, no, you can't. See, there's certain things you can't, you can't put on Troy, but there are things that you can, like you, you talk to, you talk about the mentality aspect, you know, the dropping of the heads, like, and that's, that's on Troy. That's on the guys, like miss a couple attempts that you probably should have, should have put in the back of the net. And then all of a sudden they score on a banger and, you know, the heads drop and there's a loss of, loss of uh, momentum, loss of, spark that's on everybody mm-hmm. choice got to is. find a way to get those guys back up you know questionable subs absolutely you know last year when the five sub rule came into place uh you know i think by the end of the season we use like 94 percent of all available subs or something like that and we see matches this year where we're only using three subs which makes zero sense I mean, you've got the five subs available use them you know, the, over the weekend against El Paso, Dev is not a 90-minute player anymore. Why leave Dev on the pitch for 90 minutes? Absolutely, Troy deserves some some criticism for, for some of the things that, that happens. But you can't put all of it on him. You can't put poor execution on the pitch on Troy. But in a way, you can. Because he, like, like let's, I'm, I'm going to pick on Juan Pablo Guzman because I can Juan Pablo Guzman has been atrocious at times 
Uh, he's been atrocious at times this year. Yet, who leads the team in midfield when it's played? Time out, time out, time out. Time out, time yes. out, time out. You said he's yes. atrocious at times? Look, man, he wasn't that bad last night. He wasn't bad last night. I thought he had a solid game for a defensive midfielder who we don't expect much out of. Um, but the bottom line is, is even if, I mean, so you obviously think he's atrocious all the time. Troy's the one that has kept him here for three years as the technical director. Troy is the one who keeps giving him the most minutes out of any midfield player that we have. And Troy is the one that keeps giving him 90 minutes, not even pulling him like when we've seen him play absolutely terrible, Troy's the one that leaves him in. So occasionally when, when Guzman just turns and passes it right to a Colorado Springs player and gives them a one-on-one fast break with Galen Ryden, that can be on Troy because Troy is the one that pulls every string with this club. Peter is the owner and has said he knows nothing about soccer basically and not so many words. So Troy is the soccer bringing of this club. And if that soccer brain of this club is signing guys like Guzman and leaving him in when he's playing terrible and leaving Devin for 90 minutes and doing this and doing that, then at times, yeah, the the poor decision-making by the players is on Troy too because he's the one playing him and he's the one signing him. I mean... You know, we could disagree with... Troy's choices and who starts and who he subs on and things like that. Troy has always maintained that he's going to put out whoever he feels gives us the best possible chance to win. Yeah, and exactly. While and while you know you do you know, we talk about JPG a lot over the over this season about you know some of the the poor execution that he's had, the actual execution, the decisions that he's making, that's on JPG. Now, should he be out there? That's on Troy. So there's two completely different it's two completely different things. If Troy is going to trust JPG enough to be out there, JPG has to be better. He has to make better decisions. He has to execute better. Troy can't make him execute better. But Troy can put him on the bench. And, and if it's one of those. A zero? A zero? Who can't, Somebody? Who can only I mean, go a good 45 minutes? Maybe? Then then that's on Troy to have Guzman as the only player that can play that position in, after this offseason. That's on Troy still because we don't have anybody that can play that position. And I will take, I will, I will take this with a slight grain of salt. The match that we saw Sam get injured in, he was playing a defensive midfield role. And I loved that. And I thought that it was going to be huge um, to, to have that versatility um, and, and to try and kind of change up that defensive midfield look with Guzman and Zira really being our only kind of sixes back there. Um, uh, so to have Hamilton be gone now until who knows when later in the year. Uh, I know they're still optimistic that he will be back before the end of the year, but um, to, to have that taken away, I'll give Troy a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. But um, at, at the end of the day, coming into this year, re-signing Guzman or exercising an option or signing him to a multi-year deal to begin with, I don't know, um, that 
and having him as the only player that can take that spot is a problem on Troy as well. So I, I think there are three things going on here. There are players not performing because the players aren't performing, and that's on the players. Yes. There are coaching decisions being made uh, as far as subs and starting lineups and who's in the 18 and who's not. That's on Troy, the coach. But then there's Troy, the technical director, that is the one in charge of the signings. And I think that you can look at both of those jobs that Troy has and say he has shortcomings in both of those situations at times. Again, not enough to fire him. Not enough for the hashtag Troy Al movement. I'm just playing devil's advocate here because, uh, well, to be completely honest, I'm I'm frustrated. Um, I'm not to uh, spring roll 69's level of frustration of with Troy, um, but uh, at the same time, I look at it. <laughs> you like that? Uh, at the same time, I am I'm looking at us in sixth place in this division. Uh, after thinking that you know it was just going to be us and El Paso fighting for it and just dogging it out, and now fuck it, dude, El Paso's gone. We're not catching El Paso. Uh, if you think we're catching El Paso, you are high as a kite on something because um, that's not going to happen. It's going to be a dogfight to catch Colorado Springs, in my opinion. Um, I know that they're right there with RGV, but Colorado Springs is is on the upswing and and they could run away with second place pretty easily, in my opinion. So it's going to be uh, tough to get the playoffs right now with the position that we put ourselves in. And it's a mix of players not performing. It's a mix of coaching not being done right. It's a mix of the roster build. It's a mix of all of that. And when two-thirds of that is Troy and one-twenty-third of it is the players, um, I'm not happy about it. So... I love we, every freaking press conference. Troy does this Jedi mind trick on me where I go into the press conference and I'm pissed. And then after the press conference, I'm like, man, that's a fucking great dude. I love that dude. I take a bullet for that dude. <laughs> and, and it's, it's, it's this weird thing that I can't figure out. Um, and, and that, and that just speaks to Troy as a person. Uh, he's just a great dude. And I love him to death. But that doesn't mean I can't be critical of him or think that he is screwing up in some ways. So when I take a look and I step back and I kind of take my my love of him and my media and, and kind of tap back into the fan more than anything else and I look at it, it sucks, dude. And it it's it's at least half Troy's fault because he's the one in charge. Like you can't, that's, that's how stuff happens is when you're in charge, you have to have the responsibility. Um, even if the players are fucking up, which they do, um, they're the ones not putting it in the back of the net. We've talked about it a lot, but it, it's, I can be frustrated because a guy had a chance and took it and instead of hitting it two feet to the left, hit it right at the keeper, which I have, there's probably never going to be a point in my life. There was never a point in my life where I could have done better at that. 
And I'm not saying I could do better than Troy at what he does, but I know that doesn't take my body at least. <laughs> and, and it's a little more easy to control what you do with your mind than you do with your foot. So um, it's just frustrating, guys. It, it really is. I'm, I'm not happy. I, we should be better. We have all the fucking talent in the world, whether it's, I know we've had some injuries. We had Amondo leaving. I mean, there's plenty of excuses in there that we could make. The bottom line is Saturday and Wednesday, were both 1-1 draws that should have been 2-0 wins. And that's a multitude of reasons, but no matter what the reasons are that that happened, I'm still not happy. Yeah, it's tough. It's been a tough stretch of matches, and you know, I know we didn't talk about El Paso, but I mean, that one ended on on, on our downer as well. And honestly, like El Paso's goal came off of deflection, which is really unfortunate. And But again, we didn't put them away. And so, I mean, there's things that this club definitely have to be, this club has to work on. This club has to get better at if we're going to make the playoffs. Right now, the difference between second place and sixth is five points. So, aside, again, aside from El Paso, the rest, the other three spots are up for grabs still, uh, if you ask me. And so there's a very real possibility that we could make it as the number two seed, there's a very real possibility we don't make the playoffs at this point. Something has to change. And I think for these guys, that's going to, we got to see something Monday night at, in Austin. And, you know, Austin is a team that's been playing. We've been saying that the last three matches though, we've got to see something against El Paso. Oh, no, no draw. We got to see something against El Paso. Oh, the, the latest equalizer, possible well we got to beat oakland right i mean it's oakland and they're coming here on a short week like we got to beat a one one draw like at the end of the day we can't keep saying we've got to do something at dot 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 or against dot 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 like we just can't keep doing that so it, it's going to come to a point where we're going to keep saying that and then it's going to be you know what it doesn't matter if we do anything now we're fucked so so yes, you're you're correct. We have to do something against Austin. <laughs> that is, we have to show up there and and get a result of some kind. But uh, if we have to keep saying that, there's like everybody's saying there's 14 matches left. There's 14 matches left. Like it's a lot. It's not a lot, and especially when let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Eight, nine, ten. Ten of the fourteen are against our group. Those are massive, massive points that we need against San Antonio and Austin and Colorado Springs and RGV. Like, um, I mean, those are worth double in all reality. So, it's you lose two of those matches, and you're you're definitely in an uphill battle all of a sudden. So, so Austin's big. Um, Austin's Austin's probably the <coughs> the most likely to fall out in my opinion out of the ones that are up there above us right now but in order for them to fall out we got to go in there and beat them Yeah no we absolutely do and Austin is a club they are uh 1 2 and 3 in their last 6 six matches uh their only win coming against colorado springs um 
more recently, they lost to El Paso 3-0, drew with uh, Miami, of all people, uh, 0-0. And then, let's see, they drew with RGV 1-1. So, I mean, Austin's a team, they've kind of underperformed a bit this year, uh, I think, from where some people expected them to be. I think for our purposes, I think they're overperforming at this point. Um, With a few more days of practice, uh, with bees being back, uh, what do you guys think we see Monday night? Well, I'll, I'll fight back just a little bit. I I don't think I think they're right where I thought they would be. I don't think they're underperforming or overperforming for me, anyways. I thought they would be right there, battling for that four seed. Um, and their their form as of late, like you mentioned, not the best. But um, hey, they have a win in their last five, so we, that's more than we can say. Um, as for Monday night, the first half, I expect us to do what we always do, and then it's come out strong. And I wouldn't see us; wouldn't be surprised to see us score first, and and maybe even have the lead at halftime. What what it's going to come down to me is being able to find a second or third goal, and then being able to hold on. If it gets late and we're only up by one, being able to hold on to that lead because we have not been able to do that uh, very often. Um, let's see. Let me check something real quick. Yeah. So, are we going to see the same Austin Bold park the bus, double park the bus that we saw the last time we played them? Um, not at home. Not at home. Uh, I think they're going to come out and play a little bit more attacking than, than what we saw when they came here. But I, it, it's hard to say. I mean, really, it really is. But that's what I think. I, and I think that them playing a more attack-minded formation Monday night is going to open up chances for us. Yeah, I mean, you saw that the first time we played them at the lab and, and it ended up 3-1 in our favor. So mm-hmm. um, we need that kind of result. That doesn't mean we're going to get it. But um, at, at least if they if they allow themselves to be vulnerable at the back, um, I mean, they do have at the moment, uh, if I'm not mistaken, their keeper is either first or second in goals against average. Um, they have not given up very many goals at all this year. And, and their defense has been pretty stout um, at home and away. So let's see here. Yeah. So they, they've conceded 19 goals or 1.1 per game, uh, but they do have seven clean sheets. So it seems like they either shut you out or they give up multiple goals more often than not. So, um, I don't think they're going to shut us out if they, unless they park the bus again. So if you think we're going to see more of an attacking one, and I, I tend to agree because nobody wants to play a park the bus type game plan in front of their fans. Um, then I, then I think we see multiple goals or at least a chance of multiple goals for sure. Earl, what are your thoughts on the match for Monday? So, unfortunately, I do see them trying to park the bus again. Um, I see us 
going up one. I think they get the equalizer close to the second, close to the half. Um, and then they come out, and it's just a snooze fest with them just jamming the box and not letting anything through. Um, so kind of spoiled my prediction right there, but I do see them parking the bus only because they, we score, and they try to just eke it out and just draw as much as they possibly can out of it. All right, yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's gonna, you know, we say it all the time. You know, every match is going to be tough. We we need the points. We we need good results. Uh, we're going to need some help too. Um, you know, like I said, I think Austin comes out. I think they play a little bit more attacking. I think it opens up our opportunities for us. I think a few more days in training gives Bees a, a little bit better chance to, to gel with some folks. And I think I think we look better on Monday. I think we looked better for, for much of the match uh, last night and against El Paso. Um, that's not to say we were perfect. We weren't, you know, great, but we looked better than, than we have in, in other matches. And so I think heading into Austin, I think the guys are going to be ready. I think, you know, I, I think they're going to have some intense training here the next couple of days. And for me, I see another 2-1 us down there. You know, you mentioned that we've looked better. And and to me, I mean, you look at the schedule. RGV felt like we played great or played fine. Uh, they scored on a fluke. All four of the El Paso matches, I felt like we were the better club. We just had a two-minute spurt in the one that we lost. And then we gave up two late goals in the two that we drew 1-1. One, one, and then we just couldn't find the back of the net in the other ones. Or any other one. Uh, two, three, one wins back to back. Austin and Colorado Springs. The Loudon match, you can chalk up to the ref. Uh, the first round Monarchs match, uh, we didn't look great, but we found a way to win. Uh, Austin parked the bus on us, so we, we held possession. We kicked their ass. Um, just couldn't do it. San Antonio at home, we were clearly the better club, probably one of our best games of the year. Um, Colorado Springs, when we lost three to one, you're like, oh man, that was just Haji Berry kicking our ass. So I thought we played well, just Haji Berry tore us apart. The Real Monarchs game that we lost, they scored some bangers. Um, what can you do? Then you have a 3-1 win and a 2-1 win at home. thought we played great. The only match that I can look at and say we really sucked that match was San Antonio in San Antonio. Everything else, I feel like we've been a great club, or at least a good club. And have been in the match and probably should, we should be way better than we are. So you say these last two matches here, we've looked better. I think we've looked fine or good at least the whole year. So it's just a matter of finding the back of the damn net. And I, I think we do that. I think Bees, um, I don't know if he scores, but he at least opens things up and, uh, and allows us to get something going there. I think he starts. Uh, I hope to see Brown back, but I won't hold my breath. Um, but I, I do think that I think we come away with a 2 0 win, um, which, as I say it, sounds insane to me um, looking at our previous results and just kind of how we're playing right now. But, but I do think Bees brings enough 
to get a win there. Uh, when we start talking about the Phoenix match the next week, or even Colorado Springs the week after that, those are those might be two different stories. But um, but as for Monday, um, I think we we end up finding a way to get a two 0 victory there. I, I don't think Austin's attack is is uh, good enough. Hopefully, Kieran's back. But honestly, one thing that I I want to talk touch on before we get out of here um the play of Rashid Tete Justin Smith and Austin Yearwood uh against Oakland and frankly against El Paso as well um yes the ball went in off of Schmidt's foot uh that was just one of those mad scramble plays that you know shit happens um but you, you take away that and that back line has been incredible over the last two matches without Kalen and I was worried when we found out Kalen was hurt and was having some back issues, I was nervous. Um, so uh, to know that we've got three guys back there, even with Kieran out, that can kind of hold down the fort, and, and no, they did not get a clean sheet either time, but um, they, they still impressed the hell out of me, especially Rashid this last match. I mean, he was he was a brick wall back there. And, and Coach mentioned it a little bit in the press conference, um, that was more of what we saw in 2019 from Rashid, and and that right there is one of the most exciting things about last night's match is that he is coming back into form because I thought he was our best defender. In fact, I think he was voted best defender in year one, um, and so to have him come back into form, and I think he battled a lot of injuries and just had some dings here and there, and and. And just had a rough go of it for last year with COVID and everything and and just not being able to stay healthy. I think now that he's finally back in the groove, he's a huge asset to our back line. And um, I think he will allow Hamilton, when he comes back, to to be a little more versatile. And, and you know, maybe we don't have to give Ryden 98 minutes every match um, or anything like that. So just wanted to shout out that back line, especially Rashid. And, and I mean, Yearwood's been a stud all year, so... Um, nothing changed there, but Rashid coming into his own is, is huge. And so uh, I think we get a shutout, whether with Ryden or without, I think we get a shutout and, uh, and, and it's going to be two nil us. So I, uh, I have to backtrack on what I said. So I said one, one draw. Um, I don't think that I, <laughs> I, I did some soul searching sitting here quietly on my own little, one little Island. And I've decided it's going to be 3-1. <laughs> That's a complete different. Oh, 3-1 us. So it'll be 1-1. One, one. Uh, Austin will try to park the bus. Someone comes in second half. Um, maybe by the name of Bees or... Oh, Bees better uh, start. I'll be pissed if he doesn't start. Um... Opens things up. We score another one, and then we score another one late in the second half. All right, there you have it, folks. That is our predictions for Austin Bold on Monday night. That is a 7 p.m. kickoff time, according to USLChampionship.com. Um, I think that's going to just about do it for us here tonight. Uh, a lot of discussion tonight, a lot of great discussion. So appreciate any, all of you hanging out with us and listening. Uh, 
in your podcast feed or being here live with us on YouTube uh, as you can do each and every week. Uh, so I think with that being said, um, anybody have any final comments before Jacob gets us out of here? No. All right. Um, just uh, real quick, uh, guys, the is Thursday night tomorrow. The mask mandate goes back into effect in New Mexico. I know that we are all sick and tired of it, but, you know, please do what you can to keep yourselves and those around you healthy. And uh, also tomorrow morning, Friday morning, I will be on the morning mix once again with uh, Joshua Carrillo. Uh, probably not going to be talking about sports this time, uh, at least not too much. But uh, if you are going to, if you have the opportunity to check that out, radio.tellabq.com. Nice, nice. Um, I want to give a, a huge shout out to, uh, you know, I'd love to point out when, when former United players are doing good. Um, unless your name is Santi Mora, in that case, fuck you. Um, but Samson, Samson Sergei, um, currently of Loudoun United, had a first half brace last night against Indy 11. Um, it's great to see. I, I He's a player that I wish we would have kept hung on to, maybe. Um, you know, we had some some health issues when he was here that kept him out, and, and that's a that was a really big bummer. Um, but I, I'm glad to see him healthy again and, and doing good and, and making a difference over there in Loudoun and, and uh, happy that he, he gets his first brace of his professional career tonight or last night. So just wanted to throw that out there before we wrap up. And, and with that guys, uh, thanks for joining us. Um, you know, we've, we've been a little sporadic with our schedule lately, but um, such as life sometimes. So we should be back next Tuesday after that Austin match, hopefully talking about three points, a uh, huge three points for us, and maybe maybe three goals uh, or at least multiple goals. And and um, would love to have you on the YouTube page, uh, YouTube channel, watching us and, and commenting and interacting with us. And, uh, you know, reach out on Facebook or Instagram. Um, the Twitter is currently down right now. I still can't get into it, but eventually on Twitter again, or you can just reach out to Seth or Earl personally on Twitter. Or um, Somos Moss Pod? Question mark? Yeah, Somos Moss Pod on Twitter. Um, uh, Seth runs that one. So, um, again, thanks so much. Uh, reach out to us. We we love this club. We love the community, uh, the state of New Mexico. Uh, we love you guys, and um, you know we we want you to be involved in in it and and with what we're doing. So, uh, we would love to do a little bit more. We just um, we're three guys spread out, uh, over two and a half hours of New Mexico nothingness, basically. Um, and so we could use some help every once in a while. So if you, if you want to be a part of what we're doing and, uh, help us do a little more then then reach out to us for sure. And, um, yeah, just come back next week. We'll be here. Um, we'll, uh, We'll be talking about the games. Uh, I know Seth will be live tweeting the um, the match for ESPN Radio, so interact with him on there, and and then come back and see us on Tuesday. And until then, guys, so much news. You've been listening to Somos Moss, your source for the latest news and notes on New Mexico United and weekly discussions from around the world of sports. Each episode is recorded live on Tuesday nights on our YouTube channel and goes live on podcast platforms around the world later in the week. Our show is written and produced by Seth Bedoff, Jacob Terrell, and Earl Nieto, and is edited by Seth. 
All episodes are recorded and edited using Zencaster and Audacity.